Welcome to the Competitive Contractor Podcast, the go-to show for owners and leaders of engineering and construction businesses that are determined to be better. I am your host, Shubhendra Kumar, and I am on a mission to help build trailblazing businesses that will be known for transforming the engineering and construction industry. Let's get right into the discussions. Hi, everyone. I'm delighted to have Caroline Wilkie, the CEO of Australasian Railway Association, join me on the Competitive Contractor podcast today. Good afternoon, Caroline. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Thanks for taking our time from your busy schedule. I know it's a busy period uh, doing the annual reports, etc. <laughs> and you, you're joining joining us to share your insights about the rail industry for the benefit of our audience. So thank you. Before we dive into our topic for today, would you take would, would you mind taking a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners? We are eager to know more about you, what you do, and how you got started in this field. It's a bit of a um, strange pathway. I actually ended up uh, starting my career back in politics originally, and uh, from there realised that industry associations were a good fit for me. And I initially started working in the finance sector in a finance industry association, then moved to an industry association that was looking after infrastructure and transport, the Tourism and Transport Forum. Uh, from there, I became the CEO of the Airports Association. I was there for about nine years. Uh, it's really interesting because infrastructure across the sectors have a huge number of similarities. Uh, and I had been there for nine years and the opportunity came up to head up the Rail Association. Uh, and I started uh, with the ARA in February of 2020. So an interesting time to start in the industry, just as we were rolling into the COVID pandemic. Uh, fantastic experience so far. Uh, everyone has been very welcoming and supportive. I was a bit nervous, I have to admit, moving from airports into rail. Uh, but everyone's been very supportive during the journey. And there are similarities. There are a lot of things that are a bit different. There are some things from airports I'd love to bring across to rail. but. Um, no, it's it's been a sharp learning curve, but it's been really interesting. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, good. I didn't know of that background, so I think uh, there's a lot of discussion, and I think we're talking about intercity transport later on. So I'm pretty sure there's a lot of learnings from the airport days and how people move <laughs> between the the major cities and the regional cities. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so it'll be good to good to cover that. Now let's talk about the ARA. Uh, its objectives, and uh, who who are its members? What makes up the ARA? So the ARA is made up of around 220 members across the rail sector. We represent all of the sectors in the in the rail economy, I suppose. Uh, so we have the major passenger rail operators, so that's uh, city passenger rail, uh, regional passenger rail, and light rail. Uh, we represent the rail freight sector, so that's um, those who operate operate the track as well as those who are hauling uh, supplies via rail freight. Uh, we also represent the ports in that rail freight sector. We then have the heavy haul sector. So that's the mining sector who are predominantly in the Pilbara, but we also have miners in the heavy haul sector in the coal in area in the Hunter Valley and also Queensland. Uh, we have the supply chain. So anyone who's providing goods and services to the rail sector. Uh, we have the contractors uh, who will be talking a bit about their world today, but we have the contractors who are building all of these wonderful railways 
uh, and the intermodal nodes that are making them such a critical part of the economy. So that's who we are. We represent all of those sectors. Uh, as part of the services that we do uh, as the ARA, we're the normal traditional industry association. We offer events. Uh, we do work in uh, networking. We have, I think, over 50 committees in terms of networking groups and working groups and the like, looking at key issues for the sector. So our role is to bring industry together to communicate and to make sure that we're as strong as we are because ultimately one voice for industry is is much more um, powerful than multiple voices. Uh, and then we also do a lot of work in the policy space and advocacy space. And then the area that I get most passionate about is the workforce development skills and diversity space. So the ARA is very active we have a Women in Rail mentoring program. We have a Women in Rail strategy. We have a lot of initiatives we're doing to promote rail uh, to the sector and to, to women and to, to get more people involved across the demographics uh, into the rail sector as well. So um, quite a big and varied portfolio of work, but it's um, it keeps every day interesting. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. What I pick up from that is uh, you, you sort of, the rail industry, I guess, connects and brings Australia together. You, what you do brings the Australian rail industry together. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really ultimately about creating opportunities for the rail industry to, to drive policy change, mm. to collaborate, but also just to be the best that they can be. And I think we're stronger together as one voice. Yes, yes. And one thing I realized after preparing for this podcast is how big an industry uh, rail is, right? Like you, you categorize the the track and the suppliers, the heavy haul, those, those, I mean, we, we normally look at the transport and maybe the freight train that we see occasionally, mm -hmm. but we don't realize from the metro areas how much goods are being transported around the country every day at any point in time. Yeah, I mean, it's country. extraordinary. If you just think of construction alone there's 154 billion dollars in construction in the rail sector over the next 15 years it's huge uh, mm. and that's not even including the day-to-day -day operations and maintenance of all of our um, networks that already mm. exist so it's a really exciting space to be in yeah so given that much of spending what's top of mind uh, for ARA and and what strategic priorities are you working on or focusing on so front and centre is sustainability, and I think that's the same for many industry associations and many industries. Um, rail has been an interesting area in the sustainability space where 16 times, or 16 times less polluting than the similar road travel. So we've got quite an advantage in the sustainability space in that we are more sustainable and more um, appropriate for people to be using if they want to be factoring sustainability. And ultimately, with every passenger rail um, car set, we're taking nearly 600 cars off the road. So rail is fantastic for sustainability. But I think to some extent, we've rested on our laurels a little in this space and just kind of gone, oh, we're more sustainable than everyone else. Isn't that great? But obviously, all sectors are moving towards net zero now. And so all sectors are looking at how they can decarbonise uh, and what they can do to improve their sustainability credentials. So I think in some way the rail industry has a bit of catch-up to do there. So that's a real focus for us. How do we help support the industry to move towards net zero, whether that be supporting circular economy, the decarbonising of rolling stock, um, how we operate in terms of uh, maintenance and asset management, 
it's quite varied. So there's a lot going on in that sustainability space. Um, the other one that is a big focus for us is workforce development. So we did a piece of work before COVID to say that we had a 70,000 shortfall for the sector to meet the demand, uh, in, particularly in terms of that construction growth. Uh, when we did this piece of work in 2018, it showed that we would lose 20% of our workforce to retirement by 2028. Um, and if you, you just have to go to one of the ARA's events to see that, you know, we, we do have quite a, an older workforce. So for us, it's about how do you promote the rail sector? How do you get people interested in joining our sector, particularly even more now when it's such a competitive market? And how do you get people to think about rail uh, when they would never normally do that? So, for example, women have been very underrepresented in the rail workforce uh, and we're very, you know it's a very competitive market now so there's a lot of focus on that um, and then the third area that we're really focused on is productivity and harmonization so one of the challenges with the rail industry is that every operator operates within its state and every state has its own rules and so if you're an uh, say a you know, a supplier, you make something for the rail industry, it can be quite challenging because you might have one set of rules in New South Wales and another set of rules in Queensland or WA. And so for you, if you're trying to get volume in the sector, it's quite difficult. Um, and so we've got that harmonisation and interoperability piece. Um, we've got some good news recently. We've got a rail manufacturing advocate that is being appointed. Uh, we also have a rail innovation council that's being appointed. So there are lots of opportunities in that space, but um, a lot of that focus will be about mandating standards, about getting consistency nationally. And it's the one area I have to say that is most stark in its difference to the airport sector um, because in the airport sector everything is exactly the same all of the standards are the same because if they're not when that pilot comes in from another airport he's not going to know what's happening at your airport um, we don't have that in rail um, which means even something as basic as taking staff from one railway and moving them to the other you have to retrain them so there's a lot of conversation about, well, how do we more, be more effective in that space and really look at the issue of harmonisation so that we're stronger as a national industry. Yeah, now those are very good ideas. And just to recap for the audience, uh, the focus is on sustainability, workforce development and harmonisation. Absolutely. Now, the workforce development is interesting, right? How do we take these uh, kids uh, who, who grow up with Thomas the Tank Engine, they go <laughs> on to these model trains and train sets. I have a five-year-old at home who's all into trains. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm just wondering where he ends up in five or 10 years' time. But I have a how... seven-year-old and I tell him all the time, I'm electrical engineer, darling. You need to be an electrical engineer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's. Uh, I guess the the opportunity for us is to convert this Thomas the Tank Tank fanatics uh, to actual uh, rail engineers and bring them to the rail workforce, but uh, also yeah. to have, but to also have, I guess the the more uh, more uh, like more people of the opposite gender as well. Yeah, uh, females yeah. being interested in this industry at a later stage, right? Yeah, and it's interesting that Thomas the Tank Engine analogy because I think a lot of people think of rail in that dirty coal mm -hmm. kind of image. When we're digital, we're sustainable, mm. we're modern. I mean, you just have to look at the most extraordinary metro networks we've got in the country now and all of these amazing mm. product projects like um, Cross River Rail in Queensland or Suburban Rail Loop in Victoria, like 
we're very much focused on IT and digital futures. So I think there's some really exciting opportunities. But I have to say, I, I grew up, my grandfather was an engineer and he mm. works building bridges on the railway. And so mm. I do have quite that that older style image of the rail industry. But certainly when you go around now, it's it's not yeah. like that anymore. Yeah, maybe that's a note uh, for the for the producers of Thomas the Tank Engine to modify <laughs> to modify the program and make it more digital. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. need a, we need some metro trains happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The federal budget, right? It still yeah. still remains a hot topic. A lot of discussion on how the, yeah. the where the government is putting its focus on, and there were some major announcements that came through in the in the May budgets. So, uh, some of it was the ongoing commitment to the Tania infrastructure pipeline as well as uh, establishing the National Net Zero Foundation, uh, mm. Net, National Net Zero Authority. What is your take on the budget and the major topics affecting the rail industry? I think the biggest issue was the announcement of the SNAP review of all of the Commonwealth's infrastructure funding. Mm. I think it was disappointing that that hadn't been undertaken earlier in the new government's tenure. Um because I think it would have, you know, it would have been natural to do that as the new government came in. Uh, certainly from our perspective, you can see from the Commonwealth's infrastructure pipeline that there are cuts that are necessary. Um, sadly, because of, you know, just the nature of politics, there are a lot of projects that are on their list that, um, you know, someone might say, oh, we're going to build this road and isn't that great? It's going to cost $50 million dollars. And the road's actually going to cost $200 million and no one's really thought about it properly and just ends up on a list. And so, I mean, that's not how best practice should be for running the infrastructure agenda in the country. So we're very supportive of the review. I think the challenge with the review is the timing, though, because I think it's it's caused a level of uncertainty in industry about what is planned and where the, the pipeline will go. Um, so obviously, we're very keen to have the results of that at out as soon as possible so that industry can have a, a, a firm view about what the future will hold. Um, I remain confident that the rail projects or the majority of the rail projects that the Commonwealth is contributing funding to will remain on track. Um, but obviously, the sooner we know, the better, because you've got difficulties in, we have a number of state governments that are also either delaying or reviewing rail projects and for us it's all about the workforce and, and having that workforce on tap and it is such a competitive market right now that you want to be able to hold on to your good staff so that you can still deliver this pipeline so um, I think that's that's big um, obviously the net zero plans for the government we are fully supportive of it's fantastic to be able to have these conversations um, you know, and to have that leadership from government. So we'll be engaging really heavily in that process. Um, obviously, you know, sustainable transport system is critical for our future. Um, and, you know, I'm looking forward to their review. Um, and, and I think, and the confidence that that then gives industry about the scheduling of projects will be really important. Yeah. Now, thanks. Thanks for that uh, feedback. I think uh, you're very very close to what the smaller contractors, small to medium-sized contractors feel about the the, the review of projects. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty and it's uh, escalating uncertainty, right, from their point of view, because a lot of these business owners are impacted by the rising interest rates. Uh, they're, they're mindful of the uh, increase in the cost of living, where mm. staff asking for pay rises and also mm -hmm. difficult to recruit and attract, retain staff as well. So I think... Uh, 
the, yeah. the, the review is timely, but it just comes at a very challenging time. But I remain confident like you that uh, like like we always do in Australia, we'll be able mm. to work, work through it. But I think we'll need to work through it with a lot of grit, a lot of patience and uh, resilience, right? Yeah, and I think ultimately that certainty will lead to a stronger local supply chain. Mm. Um, but yeah, as, as I said, I think we need the confidence. Um, and, and I think it's even in something like, um, you know, how do you how do you say to an engine a young engineer who's working with one of these contractors, no stick with rail because there's a pipeline, and not only is there a pipeline, but there's great really interesting projects that you can work on over you know ten years because ultimately, I mean, that's the thing about rail; it can be a career for life. Um, and same with, you know, construction can be a career for life. But you've got to have those interesting things to be able to grow. You don't want to just still be doing the same projects over and over again. And I think that's what's really exciting about the industry. There's some really exciting projects over the next yeah. 15 years. Yeah, that's definitely an exciting industry. And there's a lot of focus on it, right? So the big mm. question then comes is, leading on from this conversation is, is the rail industry ready to deliver on these, right? Many many of these projects are important uh, for moving goods around Australia, mm. moving people around Australia. So can, can these projects all be delivered? I believe so. I believe that the industry had geared up effectively to be able to deliver them. I think part of the challenge has been inflation in terms of the costs of the actual supplies. And, you know, we've seen that in terms of the public commentary around inland rail in particular, uh, that one of the challenges has been the growing costs of materials. And I'm sure, you know, across many of your podcasts that you've done, the material costs are really problematic. Um, I think we're all just going to have to ride this out for, you know, the next 12 months to see where we land. Um, you know, even regardless, even if there's a twist here and there, I mean, our pipeline's $154 billion. So even taking or pushing, I mean, this is the thing, I don't think with any of the projects anyone's going to say, we won't do the project. It's just, it won't be now, it'll be a bit further out. And to be honest, I mean, from an industry, if we were sitting back, we ultimately, we would love the states and the Commonwealth to be talking more closely about how they schedule these projects because everyone's, I mean, everyone's sort of had a change of government and, uh, oh, renaissance of rail all at the same time, which is really exciting but it does make it slightly challenging, particularly for skill sets, which are really hard to get. So signaling engineers, for example, if you're a signaling engineer, you're a god in the industry right now <laughs> because you want a job, you want to tell them what you pay, you want, you're there because they just can't find people. Mm. Um, but are we ready? I would say, yes, we are ready. And I think people have fantastic teams that are already working on fantastic projects Um so it's just, you know, we need some of these announcements confirmed and then off we go. I think there's a big, big line of people waiting for that announcement to come through. <laughs> uh, in light of that, we like if I look at the capacity issues and the workforce and being able to retain people, right? Mm. I guess one of the things that's important is long-term planning uh, mm. because what, what long-term planning does is it provides certainty to the industry. Certainty mm. enables businesses to make some strategic mid to long-term investment decisions which which at this point in time are very very difficult to do mm. what's yeah so i'm keen to get your thoughts on 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 the importance of long term planning i think 
it comes back to that earlier point about industry certainty because you know then that you can you know invest in the apprentices invest in the team that you need for the long term so I think it's in that staffing space I also think it goes further to the actual supply chain so you know how can you build a business that services the rail sector or any part of the construction sector if you don't know that you've got the certainty of the work moving ahead and Australia already has a number of battles in terms of competitiveness globally and we see that in the rail industry so how can you a classic example so you know you want to provide a particular part of a rolling stock um, and because states are quite um, state-centric uh, the, the the current trend is they'll say, oh, I know you've got a really great factory in Sydney, but I want to have that factory in my state um, because, you know, then there's local jobs. And that's great, except for all it does is it pushes up the price for the local taxpayers. It also makes the facility in the other city less competitive because you're not getting all of the volume of work through there. So I think the state's for their own ends are actually undermining the long-term viability of the supply chain. And that's why I think this Rail Innovation Council and the Rail Manufacturing Advocate are so critical because um, ultimately we're talking about the bits and, you know, the concrete, all the, all the bits and pieces that our constructors are using to build all of these projects, whether it be track, whether it be sleepers, whatever it might be is all being impacted by this desire by people to have things just done locally. And the reality is that our, our market is just not big enough to supply that. You know, we are a national market. We are not a state-based market. So I think it's a big area of work that we need to do with the states. Um, we're having some wins, um, getting some traction, which is really, mm. you know, op makes me optimistic, um, but still a long way to go. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I agree with that. And it's a very interesting perspective. I think there's certain industries that benefit from being very local. But I think the magnitude and the type of work and the investments needed by businesses to be a supply in the rail industry requires a very different, a more national oriented uh, thinking, right? So it's a, mm. it's a different, uh, different, uh, different game altogether. Mm. In the earlier discussion, uh, when we were looking at the focus areas, uh, and in reading your uh, the 2022 annual report, the topic of rail interoperability came up a lot, and it seems that IRA is quite vocal about it. What makes it an important topic? Well, it's it's a really special one, particularly for the rail freight sector. So obviously, we've got rail freight providers that are moving um, trains across the the national network, and the problem is that you will go from one network to another network, or and you literally have to change the rule book. So you hear these stories of train drivers who have multiple books on their on their on their side there, so that they know what they're supposed to be doing in different networks. So. I think the capacity for us to make life as simple as possible and as streamlined as possible ultimately leads to increased productivity. So that's why we're really pushing in that interoperability space. Um, for anyone who's not across rail standards in this country, it's um, another stark difference to airports. So airports, it's all very much black letter this is the rule, this is what you do. Mm. In rail, it's very much about the safety management system and the safety case that the rail puts up, rail um, operator puts up. So you can determine if you think something is safe and you can put the appropriate safety case, then it can be approved and that's the way you operate. But subsequently, everyone can be operating on different, on different safety cases. Um, so that then makes it quite 
challenging. So under the National Rail Action Plan, which was established, um, I think that was established in 2018, no, 2019, sorry, the National Rail Action Plan, one of its areas that it's been looking at is this um, interoperability area. And via the National Transport um, and Infrastructure Ministers, they've agreed to look at some mandatory standards in the rail sector. So I think that'll go a really long way. Um, I think, you know, if you look at as well the, the infrastructure upgrades that we're having, whether it be inline rail or others for the rail freight sector, I think it provides a fantastic opportunity for us to look at that interoperability piece um, and also the productivity piece. So, um, you know, we saw during COVID how important rail freight was. Uh, rail freight will continue to be important and it doesn't matter even if we are having trucks moving to electric um, electric batteries. Mm. Ultimately, rail is the more efficient mode of transport when we're looking towards our net zero credentials. So we need to make our rail network and our rail freight network and productivity as efficient as we can to meet the the growing needs of the economy. So um, that's a really big focus for us. Um, you know, I think the rail freight productivity piece overall not only benefits the economy but ultimately will benefit um, all of us. In, in in the future so yeah lots lots in that space happening really which is mm. quite exciting because um you know it was quite hard to get this on the agenda and now that yeah. it is it, it's it's really exciting yeah no i think and it, it makes more sense to do that we are a lot more digital now so mm. when we look at something like interoperability if the world is very much dig- digital it makes mm. sense to unify or harmonize right a lot of these these standards uh eventually technology can come to our aid if we did yeah. so um, yeah absolutely I guess, I guess back back in the day then you can understand how rules may have been different we may not have been able to communicate as much technology mm. would not have been as advanced so i think it's a good topic to be in and can it can open up a lot of doors uh, for us mm. uh in terms of like the opportunity is there right like i can see mm. so much new so much opportunities and probably the the big opportunity is to transfer best practices from one state one state might be doing something so great that mm. can be transferred to the other states as a result of this exercise. Yeah. It's funny mm. you should mention that because one of the crazier things in the rail industry is a, is a process called the type approval process. Mm-hmm. So each railway has their own or operator has their own type approval process. So they will type approve something on their network. And so in the current system, you might have um, a supplier who's had their product type approved on a network in one state and it might have operated safely there for 10 years. But then when they go to another network, they then have to do the type approval process again, which is just mm. insane to me. Yeah. So we are working um, with state governments. Um, this is being led by New South Wales, in, in fact, and they're doing a fantastic job on this. To say to all of the states, look, we need to get to a point where we accept that if one state is accepting this and has accepted it for a period of time, that we should all be able to accept that it's mm-hmm. safe and that we can use this particular product. And I think that's going to be really important as we move ahead. Um, it's about productivity, but it's also about being agile. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of these uh, systems are not agile. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, another horrible story I've heard of, um, you know, you will have an operator who will buy a particular wagon or a particular locomotive and they need to get individual approval from different regulators or different um, jurisdictions to be able to use that and they need to get that authority and you kind of go well if one operator is going to accept it why can't they all accept Mm. it you know it is ultimately 
all connected in terms of the rail network. So I think there's a lot of um, fantastic opportunity here for improvements in productivity. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, I think, a very important topic. Equally important, I guess, is the national local content policy that is also mentioned in the annual report. Yeah. And, yeah. Can you talk about it a little uh, bit more? <laughs> it's, it's one of those areas where, uh, you know, I mentioned it already that, mm. you know, the idea that states want to have things made in their states rather than nationally, and then how that impacts our capacity to meet the demand in Australia. And it's one of those issues where, you know, we will keep fighting the good fight, but it's the one area in the rail industry where I often feel like I'm banging my head against a brick wall because politics comes into play and people want to mm. have jobs in their states. And, it doesn't matter if I say, look, does it really matter if your bogey comes from Victoria and this bit comes from Queensland and this bit comes from New South Wales? Ultimately, isn't it better that we make it in Australia as much as possible and support local manufacturing nationally rather than saying I'm going to build X percentage in uh, my state but it means that Y percentage is being shipped in from somewhere else? So, um and don't get me wrong, I certainly think that there is a space for um, uh, bringing certain components into Australia. Absolutely. We're not large enough to be able to do it on our own. But I certainly don't think the states help our industry with the current attitude. To be fair, some are doing some great stuff. You know, um, Victoria actually led the way about local content requirements, um, but we would just prefer that local content be Australia, not just a state. Um, and so I think that that's another really interesting debate for the Rail Advocate and the Rail Council um, and how they're going to resolve that into the future because it's it's a difficult one because the Commonwealth has set up the this entity and this plan, but ultimately they don't have a financial lever. They're not giving money to the states to say, here's the money to to buy your rolling stock. So it'll be really interesting to see how well we can get everyone working collaboratively to work on this as a national problem. But so far, mm. there's been some really positive um, positive responses from all the states, which we greatly appreciate. Mm. And I think your airport experience might come in handy. I'm mean, just uh, the example that comes to mind is to say, what well, I mean, we've got Qantas as the national carrier. <laughs> I guess the having a national manufacturer uh, for particular components, uh, either they're in Victoria, they're in Brisbane, doesn't really matter. But imagine if the states had their own airlines. I think they all, <laughs> after the pandemic, they all might have closed the doors, right? So, yeah. So, but because we had a, a national carrier and we've got two, two, two airlines operating overseas from here, it sort of made them both both uh, uh, like survive, uh, but mm. also it's it's able to fulfill that mission of bringing people to Australia and taking people out of Australia. I think the rail industry where you're headed is to say there's certain components of the rail industry that are better as a national, as an Australian business or an Australia-wide uh, mm. business than so much of a state business. And there are examples uh, like Qantas, and uh, I, I, it's, I should say Qantas and Virgin, otherwise I'll upset people. <laughs> <laughs> but I think those are good examples to say, look, you know, national organizations have a place uh, as well in the economy. Mm, yeah. Uh, and, and, and things are better, more productive, more efficient at, at scale sometimes. I'm a big advocate for uh, local content, like local regional content, engaging with the local uh, industries. But I do work with a lot of the business owners and we do business case assessments to say, hey, in this case, it does not make sense. <laughs> 
Yeah, and that makes sense. And obviously, you know, there are a lot of countries who have some great capacity to be able to support the industry. And we have fantastic operators here in Australia who are globally based, who Mm. might bring in parts from different operations they have around the world. And I certainly continue to see a space for that. Um, But I think we need to better support the guys guys and ladies who are supporting the industry now in Australia. Yeah. To some uh, more exciting stuff, uh, uh, are there conversations happening to transform uh, transform uh, how people transport between the cities, like the development of high-speed rail technologies? Hyperloop is being talked about in various conversations. Uh, these technologies could transform how we travel. And I'm wondering whether with the focus that you have on sustainability and meeting the net zero targets, mm. are high-speed transportation technologies being considered It's been really interesting. So just to look at the evolution of this as an issue, even if you look over the last 10 years. So, um, you know, for anyone who's not across it in the history of of high-speed rail and those conversations, you know, at different times, different people have had bright idea, nothing happened. Uh, We've had private entities who've put forward proposals to governments and they've never stacked up. Um, You know, we had under the previous government, previous Commonwealth government, they established the Faster Rail Agency, Uh, That was supposed to be looking at, you know, opportunities in the current rail network to get faster speeds because ultimately um, what's disappointing about the Australian rail network is that um, we don't reach the speeds that you can reach in Europe. Mm. And it's for a variety of reasons, um, primarily around the age of our network, particularly within regional networks. Um, The size of Australia, we are huge compared to many other countries. Uh, So you look at this, the, the, the length of the track and, and how much would be required to ultimately straighten or strengthen the track to make that better for faster rail. There are big costs. Um, also, when you look at the um, topography of the East Coast, obviously we've got the, the you know, quite big mountain networks that are sort of up mm-hmm. and down the East Coast. Um, so it makes it difficult for us to upgrade what's already in place. Um, so faster rail was ultimately looking at how do you move people more quickly between major centres? And the two major centres that the previous government was looking at was uh, Melbourne to Geelong and uh, Sydney to Newcastle. Mm-hmm. And you just have to look at the growth up Sydney, Newcastle, Central Coast area to understand why they were looking there. And ultimately with something like faster rail like that, and if you want community, people to live in those communities and, and commute on this sort of a, a mode, you know, you're looking at things like, you know, really high quality Wi-Fi, great customer experience, et cetera. Then we got a new government and a Commonwealth level. Uh, Faster Rail Agency is gone. Uh, we are still not clear as to what is happening with the concept of Faster Rail to Geelong or Newcastle. Um, they were one of these initiatives where I believe the Commonwealth government announced that they were going to put money towards it but hadn't actually had the full conversation with the states who were expected to stump up half the money. So we'll wait through the review what happens with Faster Rail. But under this new government with Prime Minister Albanese, there is now the focus on high-speed rail. Uh, So a high-speed rail, I don't even know, actually I can't even remember what it's called, but there is a a board that has been appointed, Mm. um, quite a high-profile board. Um, Neil Scales, actually, who had been the DG in Queensland is on that, which we're thrilled to see because he's got fantastic uh, career background and knowledge. Uh, And their job is to now review all of the business cases and look at all of the the work that's already been done to see where we we land on this and and what's next. so I think 
you know, really important conversations, uh, exciting conversations. Uh, you know, it's extraordinary that Sydney, Melbourne, for example, it is the fourth or pre-COVID was the fourth busiest air route in the world. Like we're talking bigger than, mm. you know, all these famous air routes. Yeah. It was Sydney, Melbourne. And so you look at that and go, how on earth in the last 20 years have we not had high-speed rail effectively implemented Sydney, Melbourne? Um, so I think there's some fantastic opportunities there. Uh, will it happen in my lifetime? I don't think so. Uh, but, you know, ultimately someone's got to dream it. Someone's got to start putting away the land and someone's got to think about mm. the future. Uh, so I think it's, you know, it's exciting. You've got to have dreamers. You've got to have people who mm. think about the future. Um, but is it really a practical thing that we're talking about as a rail industry day to day now? No. Yeah. Um, one thing I would love to see, and, you know, I think this is ultimately one of the vagaries of Canberra, and I'll say this because I'm a Canberran, um, you look at something like Canberra, Sydney, and you know the traffic Canberra, Sydney, and and how close we are, and also a number of the areas, you know, the the um, barrel areas, etc. You know, there are some improvements. If you can shave off half an hour for some of these routes and put on good internet, you can actually you can move people to rail. Um, so I'd love to see something like Canberra, mm. Sydney looked at, but I suspect we're we're way down the the priority list. But you can hope anyway. Yeah. No, that's a very good uh, explanation and a good overview. I'm I'm a big fan of high-speed rail. I've used high-speed rail in other countries and the experience is uh, is great. Mm. And I think if we were to implement it here, I saw, I think it came on one of the TV uh, news uh, programs recently that there's more people now using train to travel Sydney, Melbourne, the overnight train uh, because of the cost, right? And I yeah. thought, okay, wow, like that's so great. And, and people were sharing the experiences. One was to say they could pretty much get off, get on from the closest station to their home, make their way to the central station and then uh, take take the train, right? So they, like, it, it takes longer, but imagine in the world of the high-speed train, the amount of time we go find parking, check-in, yeah. all the security clearances, et cetera, you're pretty much like, if I'm going to Melbourne, I'd probably be going to where my meeting is, the closest station to yeah. where I'm meeting and getting it's off there. It's also, I mean, it's the experience and it's also mm. about, you know, the time. So I actually heard mm. a story last week of someone who, rather than catching the, the plane from Canberra to Melbourne, they were going to catch the train because they were planning on working, you know, they mm. had internet, you know, take the time. I have to admit, uh, this and this was a long time ago, but I remember a um, couple of times I actually caught the overnight train from Sydney to Adelaide for meetings in Adelaide. My boss at the time was big into trains. Um, but it was such a great experience. Mm. And I don't know, I mean, you know, so many flights get cancelled these days. So, yeah. you know, having that reliability of the train is a great thing. But um, anyway, we'll live in hope. I hope yeah. that I hope that we can do it. I hope that someone's got the imagination and the foresight mm. and we'll see where we go. Yeah. And and we'll we'll keep this episode aside in one day and <laughs> hopefully 20 years time, 30 years time. If it's not our lifetime, at least the next generation come can come back and look at this conversation and say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is what the dreamers are dreaming about. Yeah. Yeah. Now there are there are um, uh, there's a lot of interaction between the rail industry and engineering and construction companies, mm. right? And you're a key stakeholder that we interact interact with. Mm. What do you think the construction industry and construction businesses 
need to focus on to better contribute to the future rail projects in Australia? I think everyone's doing a fantastic job. I think the constructors are doing um, fantastic work across the sector. I think um, organisations like the Australian Constructors Association are really setting a great, um, I, I suppose, strategic direction for the sector. Uh, certainly, you know, we've been aligned with ACA uh, over the last three years and really support the work that they've done, particularly around diversity and employment experience. I think they're really to be applauded for the work that they've done there. Um, I think, you know, there will be challenges as we move ahead. Um, you know, I think they've got similar challenges to what we've got in terms of uh, getting people interested in, and being part of the industry. Uh, so I think there's lots of opportunities to work together to get more people into engineering, to get more people um, going through apprenticeships and looking at training and, and opportunities and also that diversity piece. Um, I think ultimately across both construction and rail, we're all going to have to think about how we contribute towards net zero and the ways that we need to work better or differently to be able to reach those targets. Um, and, and I think you know, the construction sectors to be commended because they are have delivered, continue to deliver an extraordinary pipeline of work under incredibly difficult circumstances the last three years. And I think they're to be commended. I think there are a lot of people in there who have gone above and beyond uh, to make sure that these projects were still on track. So um, no, I think I think they've got they're doing great things really. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your thoughts. There's a lot of people that put a lot of passion in these projects mm. and that's something the industry industry continues to do well. So mm. I appreciate, and particularly as a key stakeholder and a customer, if you notice that, I think that's good. <laughs> that's a good good mm. for us. All the construction industry leaders, workers, uh, a pat on the back for mm. all the good work you're doing. There's several industry associations in construction, each representing mm. different segments of the uh, of the industry. You mentioned mm. ACA, uh, who I I have had the pleasure of having on this podcast as well. Yeah. How how does uh, the Australasian Railway Association interact with these associations, and are there platforms that have been established to collectively address uh, challenges? Yeah, it's funny you should say that. During COVID, um, a number of us all joined together actually and had a mm -hmm. bit of a cooperative group. We would meet really regularly during COVID. It's eased off a bit now that we're um, back more into the what, new normal, um, but we support them on joint initiatives. So we're frequently getting emails from each other sort of saying, oh, can you come on board on this project or that project? Um, for example, Consult Australia has been leading the way to try to get state governments and Commonwealth governments to not put out tenders over the Christmas end of year mm. period so that um, people across the industry can have a, a well-deserved break. Uh, so we've been very supportive of that. Um, Obviously, Engineers Australia is doing a lot of work to support careers. Um, we're doing a lot of work uh, with our Work in Rail initiative as well. So there's lots of um, areas where we kind of cross over. Um, but, yeah, no, there's there's obviously always uh, more benefit with collaboration. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's good to know. And I think there was a lot of interaction, a lot of discussion during the COVID period. Mm. And we saw such great outcome and all of the industries uh, are flourishing Flourishing, mm. not so much of because what we have done. I think it's how we handled that that crisis period. 
and it yeah. just shows that there's a lot more to be achieved when we work together. Absolutely. Uh, we're nearly on, nearly, nearly uh, on, on uh, uh, at the end of the podcast. So I wanted to, to share with the audience uh, details on how they can get more information about you as well as the Australasian Railway Association. Absolutely. So um, the ARA's website is ara.net.au. Uh, we've got all of our different research projects on there and all of the information about our events and conferences, mentoring programs, courses, you name it, we've got it all there. Um, the other uh, place to find information is our new website workinrail.net.au that website has um, some really exciting things on there it's got uh, profiles on around 80 jobs in the rail sector so people can check out what the opportunities are in each of those jobs areas it'll show you know entry level mid-range and high range for jobs Uh, also show you what a day would look like in the rail sector so people can get a sense of it there's some great profiles on different people in the sector as well so I mean those are the main areas to find information about us um there's a lot on there yeah and i like the working rail concept to advertise jobs uh, and then also share experiences of people that's it's fantastic i'll make sure to check it out yeah uh so as we finish this podcast caroline it's really been great to have you here and all the all of the interactions uh, we've had uh, really good to see what you're doing uh, to transform this very important industry do you have any final comments uh, or a message for the audience I would just say I think uh, it's a really exciting time to be in rail. Uh, There are so many exciting projects and I just think we all just need to be really focused on the really positive role that we can play on moving us forward to net zero and being focused on sustainability of our sector, whether that be rail or construction. Uh, And more importantly, getting more women into the rail sector and the construction sector because I think ultimately that will lead to the, the further success of the sectors. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. And it will be good to have uh, uh, women involved in the high-speed rail project that we talked about <laughs> as well. I'd probably be leading and driving yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank, thank you so much for your time and for the insights that you have shared uh, with us. And uh, I'm sure this won't be the last time we catch up. There'll be lots to talk about in the uh, as, as the industry develops and as, as we pro- progress. Uh, but for now, thank you very much. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you found this episode insightful. Join us as we explore the theme of trailblazing visions, crafting construction's future narrative further in the next episode. In the meantime, do contact us if you would like to join our growing community of trailblazing businesses that we know will be known for transforming the engineering and construction industry. See you next time.